And when we have nothing to look forward to and there's just maybe some awkward silence, a minute seems like a long time, doesn't it? But if we have something to look forward to and something coming up that we enjoy, a minute goes by like that. Now, I realize this might stress some of you out when I tell you that, did you know there's only 28 days till Christmas? Approximately 672 hours until we get to celebrate the birth of Christ. That translates into something like 40,320 minutes left. Now, some of you are thinking, Kent, why did you waste a minute? Well, as we begin the Advent season, that maybe really is an Advent. I'll get to that in a second. I want us to recognize not only the significance of one moment in time, but also the strategic nature of these moments. We refer to this as timing. Have you ever stopped to think just how important timing is to everything? Do you plant tomatoes in November? No. Do you paint your house in January? No. If you're planning to fly to Mars, did you know that there's only a little time slot that comes around every 26 months when things are lined up and you have a straight shot? In politics, a well-timed speech can change the course of government and of history. If you're going to dunk a basketball, it's all about timing and lift and propulsion. If I'm going to dunk a basketball, it's all about a 10-foot ladder, a small front-end loader, and a safety harness suspended from the ceiling of the gym. In business, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. It's about having good intuition for when it's the right time to make a move. But you know what? If we're honest, we aren't good at waiting, are we? I'm not a good waiter. You know, I like things to go just like that. I like to plan way out in advance. My wife and I look at each other some days, and she says, I'm, I'm concentrating on what I have to do today, and I'm, I'm out there a long ways. Timing is everything. Take your Bibles, please, and open to Galatians chapter 4. I believe it's on page 672 in the Pew Bible ahead of you. And we're just going to read a couple verses out of Galatians today that kind of ease us into what will be our Advent series. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. Would you please stand as we read God's word this morning? Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Join me as we pray this morning. God, I'm grateful for your word and the truth of your word and the fact that we can depend upon it, the fact that it gives us not only the history of who you are and the history of how we came to be all the way back from creation, but it also gives us, Lord, 
the truth of the gospel. It tells us of our sin. It tells us of our inability to have a relationship with you except for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, we head toward Christmas, and we love Christmas, at least I do, because we celebrate the birth of your son. Today, Lord, as we look at the backstory of that and understand a little bit about how that came to be, would you open our hearts to what you want to do? God, I'm amazed every time I preach at, at how you use earthen vessels. And so, Lord, I just want to be used by you. I pray that what I speak would be the truth of your word, not the truth of Kent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're starting an Advent series around the phrase, in the fullness of time. And, and why I said it's maybe Advent, but not really Advent, we found out earlier this week that Advent isn't supposed to start until next week. So I don't know whether it's better to be lucky than good sometimes or not, but this fits well with what we're doing and how we're going to celebrate Christmas this year, including not having a service on Christmas Eve. Instead, coming together as a church to serve a Christmas Eve meal to the community. So lock that away in your head because we'd love to have you come and serve. So we parachute into the book of Galatians. And I always think it's interesting when we all of a sudden just jump into the middle of a book and there's not really a backstory to the book. So here's like a two-paragraph backstory to Galatians. Some false teachers had pressured the churches in Galatia to follow the Jewish law. They were teaching that salvation comes through the law of Moses and not through Christ, the exact opposite of what Paul had taught them. The Jews had been living under the law since the days of Moses. The law was a set of expectation for God's people, commanding them to follow those laws would distinguish Israel from all other nations as a people that belonged to God. However, Israel couldn't keep the law. Nobody could because everyone is a sinner. So God sent Jesus. Jesus lived the law, died for our sins, and rose again. He fulfilled the law. The book of Galatians explains the believer's new relationship with God. We are freed from sin. We are freed from the law. We are adopted as children of God. We are counted as spiritual children of Abraham, whether Jews or non-Jews. And we're all empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works, something sin prevents us from doing and the law never enabled us to do. Christ's death is important, and Paul wanted the people who read that book to not forget it. And so we come to those verses in Galatians that we just read. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions of son. Now, in the Greek, there are a couple of definitions for the word time. One is karyos, which means an opportune time, an opportunity that comes your way that just kind of pops up out of nowhere. Then there's chronos from which our word chronology comes. It's the orderly progression of events when everything follows its proper sequence. And it's the word that is used in this verse, indicating that God didn't decide at the spur of the moment to take advantage of an opportune time. Rather, God 
planned and orchestrated the sequence of events. And when the time was right, he sent his son. When the time was right, he started what we know as the Christmas story in motion. And we'll get to that in weeks to come. Acts 17, verse 26 in the NIV says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says that for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the earth. And in verse 11, it says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he, being God, put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Scriptures remind us time and time again that even when we don't understand it, even when we can't plug into the timing of God, he's still in control. Do you believe that? God is still in control. We see that in Old Testament events. You remember some of the saints of the Old Testament. You remember Abraham. We've heard a lot about Abraham. God promised that Abraham would have a son and then proceeded to wait about 25 years before that happened. Sometimes God wants us to wait. That's hard to do, isn't it? We live in an Amazon Prime culture, don't we? Order something, you can have it depending where you live in two hours. Sometimes God wants us to wait. Do you remember the story of Abraham's servant being sent to find a bride for his son? The servant felt the pressure of the assignment. He didn't want to fail. So do you remember what he prayed? He said, God, send the right young woman to the well, and when I ask her for a drink, she should also offer to water his camels. Now, what do you think the odds are of that happening? Pretty big when it's God's time. Because what happens? The first person that comes, Rebecca, fills her water jar, and in Genesis 24, 17 through 19, it says, the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let her jar down upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she was done giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. God's timing is always right. At the right time and at the right place, God sent Rebecca to meet the servant. And then there's Joseph. Remember Joseph? Coat of many colors, dude. He loved that coat. He wore it. His brothers were jealous. Went out to visit him one day. They captured him, threw him in a pit, said, let's kill him. We can smear a little blood on that cloak, make it look like a lion got him. And then, just in time, what comes along? A caravan, and they say, hey, let's make a little money on the deal. We'll sell him off. He'll be gone, out of our sight, never around again. And just in time, Joseph arrived in Egypt. And just in time, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And just at the right time, he rose to great power. And eventually, what happened? He saved his family from starving. God's in control. 
Years later in Genesis 50, chapter 20, Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Just at the right time, the baby Moses was put in his own little boat, two years old, floating down the Nile. And just at the right time, who came? Pharaoh's daughter picked him up and raised him in the house instead of him being killed. And Moses grew up when the timing was right to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And just at the right time, David came to the battlefront and saw Goliath. But it wasn't always so rosy for David, was it? Because God named him king, and then for about 13 years after that, he got chased all over hidden caves because the crazy king that he was going to take the place of wanted to kill him. So sometimes in the middle of things, God makes us wait. And just at the right time, Esther was made queen when her people were about to be exterminated. And her uncle Mordecai said to her in Esther 4.14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You see, family, God's in control. Even when we're waiting, God's in control. Daniel 2.21 says he, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. We need to understand that God's in control. Nothing is happening in this world today that is surprising God. I say this often. He's not an oh my God. He understands. He knows. He's in charge, and we see that in the events of the Old Testament, even at times when God had people wait. God's perfect timing was seen in the coming of Jesus. Now, in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come. Now, the people of Galatia probably didn't understand exactly what Paul meant, but we can look back and see. For one thing, Romans were ruling most of the Near and the Middle East, and even though it was kind of an enforced peace, there was peace in the land. The New Testament doesn't mention any wars during these days, and it's very possible that God used the Romans for that reason. Besides peace, the Romans had built many miles of roads so complex that they still exist today. Isn't that amazing? We need some people with Roman ancestry in Mindot. Even better, the Romans had well-planned infrastructure. They built not only roads, but other buildings, including aqueducts to carry water from one place to the other. They had theaters and forums and other buildings, a lot of which are standing today. And then the Greeks contributed to the fullness of time by providing a common language. By the first century, Greek was the universal language, a language that everyone could understand. 
just right for the quick spread of the gospel. The Greeks and the Romans had control of most of the known world politically and culturally, but there was still one very important group of people that had the most to contribute, and that was the Jews. They had the unique position, keeping their identity basically intact for over a thousand years, ever since the death of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Numbers of Jews had settled all over the known world at that time. In fact, in Jerusalem in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, it was like they had come from every compass point around. The Jews also had another significant contribution, namely the worship of one God. Their monotheism stood in contrast to the worship of multiple deities as practiced by the Greeks and the Romans. But the greatest thing that the Jews contributed to the fullness of time was their belief in the coming Messiah who would establish God's kingdom on earth. 400-some prophecies about Jesus coming back in the Old Testament. I say this often to the Bible instruction students, and I was going to set it up and call in one of them and scare you all thinking I was just pointing at people in the audience asking the answer to questions. But the mathematical probability of even eight prophecies about Jesus coming true is like filling the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet high, marking one, blindfolding someone, and on the first try, he picks that marked coin. That's eight, not 400. That's what the Jews were looking for. They knew that Jesus was coming, but it had been 400 silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament writings. But they remembered. They remembered verses like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They were eagerly anticipating Jesus. I read that and I think, do I eagerly anticipate Jesus? Because the truth of God's word tells us what? He's coming again. So the world, relatively at peace, nearly a universal language and an expectation from a small but influential group of people scattered throughout the world. This was the fullness of time that Paul talks about in Galatians. Here, just real quickly, have you ever noticed timing in the life of Jesus? Have you ever noticed how many times when you read the Gospels that it says, the time has come or the time has not yet come. Mark 1.15 says, 
The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Whose time? Who's, Who's watching the clock? And who's determined the right time? John 7, 6, his brothers encourage Jesus to go down to Judea, but Jesus says to them, my time has not yet come. In verse 30, his enemies are trying to arrest him, but unable to do so because his hour, his time has not yet come. So again, we see that balance of time being fulfilled, but also of waiting. We see a shift after the upper room experience and the breaking of bread and the start of the Lord's Supper where we began to see in the Gospels that the time has come. John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The time has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In Mark 14, 41, Jesus says, And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking a rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Romans 5, 6. For while we were weak, at the right time, God died for the ungodly. God waited until all these things were where he wanted them to be. And then what we read in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. Do you believe that this morning, family? What a great promise. Isn't isn't it just a fantastic promise for us to cling to? But I also know that we struggle with timing, don't we, if we're honest? We, We struggle with things because we like things right now and we like things right away. And we don't like to wait because if we're honest, we think we can figure things out. We think we can guess or perceive or figure out what's going to happen down the line. And God says, sometimes wait. I know it's best. You don't understand it. You may never understand it this side of heaven but I know what's best. Timing is everything. God's timing is everything. Chuck Colson, who is the name that a bunch of old-timers like me remember, Chuck Colson was Richard Nixon's hatchet man, and then the whole Watergate thing, Chuck Colson was sent to prison. And it was in prison that Chuck Colson found the Lord and started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. Chuck tells the story one time about he and a singer by the name of Kathy Tricoli who were in a prison in Oregon. And Chuck shared the message. And after the message, Kathy sang the song, My Life is in Your Hands. And when the song was done, one of the inmates came up to Kathy and said, 
I want to thank you for singing that song. It just meant so much to me. My soul was so dry. And Kathy asked, why is that? And this man said, well, he just received a letter from his wife asking for a divorce. Just when things couldn't get any worse in prison, now his wife wants a divorce. But in hearing that song and realizing the importance of who Jesus is, he realized that his life, even though he didn't understand things, was in God's hands. Five days later, Chuck and Kathy are singing in a prison in Chicago, Illinois. After Chuck spoke, Kathy sang that song. Afterwards, a woman who had never been to prison fellowship meeting came up and said, I really want to thank you for singing that. My soul was really dry. Almost the exact same words. Kathy asked why. The woman answered, well, my husband is in prison. And I felt like I couldn't put up with it anymore, so I wrote him last week asking for a divorce. But now I'm at peace. And I want that letter back. God's timing. God's timing. God began to heal that marriage and brought them back together. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. We don't always get instant answer to our prayers. We don't always like the way things happen. We don't always know what's going to happen. Things don't work out the way we want them to work out. But friends, family, here is the promise. No matter how difficult, no matter how tough life may be, no matter how disappointing things might be, God is still in control. Do you believe that? God is still in control, and his timing is perfect. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, this is, this is the Christmas story. It's the start of what we celebrate every year. But what's even more important than that is Jesus is coming back. You know, he didn't just come born of a woman, born under the law as a baby and live his life. No, he was crucified for our sin, for my sin and for your sin. And how terrible would it have been if he would just be a statistic in a grave. But no, what happened after three days? He rose again, ascended into heaven, and the Bible tells us that only God knows when he's coming back. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Isn't that a great promise? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I'm thankful that God's timing is perfect, and I'm thankful that God 
weights at times too. Because there are a lot of people who have never asked Jesus to be their Savior. I'm confident that someone hearing my voice this morning, whether you're sitting here and looking at me live or whether you're listening to me or watching me on a camera, that there's someone who hasn't done that. We talk about God waiting and his perfect timing, but why would we wait when we have the hope and the promise of eternal life? 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's waiting. He might be waiting for you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, the earth and the works that are in it, and it will be exposed. So a couple quick questions, family, as they close. If you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you're a believer, what is it that you still just need to trust God's timing on? What is it that causes you anxiety or frustrations? What is it that causes you bitterness? Is it a relationship? Is it a health issue? Is it a job? What do you need to trust God's timing on and wait and be patient? And on the other side of that, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, now is the time to not wait. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's Christmas. Amidst all the gifts and glitter and a beautiful stage, thank you guys who did that, Christmas is a relationship with Jesus. Don't leave this morning if you aren't sure. Come and grab me. Let me walk through that with you. God, I'm so grateful that you are in control and your timing is perfect, Lord. It was perfect in how you set everything up to send Jesus to the world, a savior in diapers, <laughs> to come born supernaturally to the Virgin Mary with the express purpose to die for our sin and give us hope for eternal life. Lord, if there's someone here who hasn't accepted that free gift, who's not sure, would you give them boldness to speak up to someone afterwards? And then God, for those of us, because I think it's all of us who struggle at times understanding your timing, would you help us to trust you? God, your ways are perfect. 
Your timing is perfect. And so even when we don't understand, even when we can't see the far end of whatever's going on in life, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.